in higher level math, so math that uh, people do in graduate school, it all comes down to a simple task, and that task is to prove it, to prove that it's true, not just like, no, oh, this sometimes works out, but to prove that that's always true. So think real simple. Um, when you add two odd numbers, you get an even number. Is that always true? Does that always work out? And almost all of higher level math is about proving it's true, coming up with a principle that you can prove is true. And so when I was at the university, it was interesting because oftentimes what would happen is somebody would come into my office, uh, a student would come into my office, they'd be like, I've got to show you the coolest thing ever. Look, when I add these two numbers, look at what I get. And then when I do this, look at what I get. And then when I do this and look what I get. And I'd say, that's great. Can you prove it? No, no, I haven't proved it, but it looks like it's true all the time. I'd say, okay, great. Show me 1,267. Does it work? Oh. And they walk out because they hadn't proved it. They had come up with something that seemed like it worked a lot of times, but it wasn't enough to say it works a lot of times. They needed proof. Today, we're going to be talking about sanctification. Sanctification. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians. Sanctification is the work that God is doing in our hearts to make us more like Christ. And what I want to propose to you is that God's work of sanctification, his work of making you more like Christ is proof that you are going to heaven. Because God invests in you because you matter and he has saved you. If you are being sanctified by God, if you are growing, that is the proof that God's at work in your heart. That is the proof of your salvation. And that's worth celebrating because sanctification matters to God. He invests in the things that he owns. And if he has saved you, he owns your life. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians. We've been talking a lot uh, through 1 Thessalonians as we uh, anticipated Christmas. And now we're going to jump into 2 Thessalonians. Uh, likely, 2 Thessalonians was one of the first books of the Bible, of the New Testament, written probably after 1 Thessalonians, although they didn't come with titles that said 1 and 2 Thessalonians. So we actually don't know which was written first. Um, most likely, 2 Thessalonians was written second. Um, we're going to dig into this, though. So start with me in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. It says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. 
This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power, he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Second Thessalonians. Remember in First Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church in Thessalonica. Paul had been kicked out of the area, pushed away, sent away. But he had planted a new church in Thessalonica, and he was concerned for that church. He was concerned. Were they growing? Were they following the gospel? Were they continuing to grow? And Timothy had gone and visited the church, and he had brought back news to Paul that, yes, the Thessalonians were growing. And in response, Paul wrote a letter really of thanksgiving to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians. It seems that after writing 1 Thessalonians, some more questions came to Paul. Actually, really in 2 Thessalonians, there seems to be three questions that, that the Apostle Paul is addressing. Uh, what is this day of the Lord you've been telling us about? It's caused us some confusion, Paul. Can you clear that up? Second question is... We're still being persecuted. Is this normal? Is it normal for us to suffer as Christians? And the third question is, given that Christ is coming, why are we working? Should we, should we still have a job? Should we just stop working? Those are the three questions that Paul seems to address in Second Thessalonians. We're going to get to all three of those in the next three weeks. But here the question that Paul's really dealing with is this question of Christ is coming again, in the future, what does that mean for us in our sanctification, our growing to be more like this Christ who is coming back to save us? So that's what we have read. Let's break it down and really dig into the passage. So I want to start by digging into verses three through five. Verses one and two are introductory. They're kind of standard, um, not quite a rubber stamp, but pretty close. Verses three through five, the point seems to be that spiritual growth is evidence of God's saving work. Spiritual growth, when you grow spiritually, that is evidence of God's saving work. Actually, look carefully at verse three, at what the Apostle Paul says. He says, we ought always to thank God for you. Spiritual growth is so important that it's not just that Paul is thankful for their spiritual growth. He is obligated to be thankful for spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is central. It is vitally important. So we need to understand spiritual growth. Now, the first thing I want to say on spiritual growth is it is fundamentally growth. In order for something to grow, it means it's not as big as it could possibly be. Does that make sense? You can't grow if you're already as big as you could possibly be. You can only grow when there's room to grow. My grandma had a fish when we were growing up. And I don't know how she did it, but she must have fed this fish constantly. And she had the tank set up where it looked like it was much bigger than it actually was. And I remember one day walking in and seeing this fish, and it had grown to just about fill the whole tank. It was a big goldfish. I've never seen a goldfish that big before. 
It couldn't grow anymore. That's not the state that we're in. We continue to grow. Why? Where do we grow? Each of us still sins. Yes? I still sin. Each of you still sins. We have room to grow. So let's look at spiritual growth. The first thing I want to point out is that your faith will often grow in the midst of persecution and trials. God uses persecution and trials to grow our faith. In the case of the Thessalonians, they faced persecution. And I suspect that they were asking the Apostle Paul through Timothy, why are we still facing persecution? Paul's answer was, well, you're growing. Yes, you may be having difficulty, but you are growing. Look at what he says in verse uh, 5. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. We grow when our faith is tested. In fact, James 1.12 says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. In Matthew 5, verses 10 through 11, Jesus promised persecution. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Persecution brings faith. Faith grows in the midst of persecution. But it's not just that our faith grows in persecution. Spiritual growth also comes from love, love for one another. The Apostle Paul continued talking about the Thessalonians' love for each other in verses 3 through 5. In 1 Thessalonians 3, 12, the Apostle Paul had actually prayed that the Thessalonians would grow in their love. And from what we read here, it seems like they had. They had grown in their love. They had grown in their faith. Love is evidence of spiritual growth. We need to see spiritual growth as evidence that God is at work in our life working to mold us to be more like Christ, working to grow us because he is investing in us. You don't have to have arrived. In fact, you haven't arrived. I haven't arrived. But we do need to grow. And that's the evidence that God's at work. Have you ever watched somebody prune a tree either correctly or really poorly? A well-pruned tree is a thing of beauty. A poorly pruned tree looks like a giant weed. God is working to grow us, pruning us. I saw a quote that I really liked. It said, faith is the root, love is the fruit. Faith is the root, love is the fruit. Meaningful spiritual growth comes from God. And it is important evidence of salvation. So let me give you an action step. Here's what I want you to do. Today is the first of the year, which means it is a time when we can dedicate ourselves to spiritual growth. We can say, in 2023, I want to grow. 
I want God to work in my heart to make me more like Christ. So I want you to ask yourself, how can I maximize my opportunities to grow in faith and love? How can you maximize your opportunities to grow? I'm going to argue in a little bit that spiritual growth actually is not something you have control of. God is the one who will grow you spiritually. What that means is that you need to provide opportunities for spiritual growth and then let God do the actual work. So how do you maximize opportunities? First of all, being together as a congregation, as a body of believers. So you can check a box for today. Okay, we've taken a good first step in that we're together. A second important step is prayer. I'm going to admit to you, I had a busy week traveling and with family, and I will admit that I did not pray as much as I normally do in the week. And I will tell you, it makes a difference because I felt it this week. I felt that distance. I felt that separation. Prayer is our second step towards growing and maximizing your spiritual growth. I challenge you to set aside dedicated time for prayer. It matters. The third way that you can maximize your opportunities for spiritual growth is by being in God's word, being in his word regularly. To that end, I'm going to challenge you. I have placed back on the information counter a read through the Bible in a year chronological plan. So if you want to read it in order of the way events likely played out, it's back in the information counter. You're going to receive an email at the end of the service that will have it as well, as well as a link if you want to do it on version that we can all be doing it together. That's a challenge I have for us as a church. Let's read through the Bible in chronological order this year. So it's all available for you. I encourage you to participate in that. The goal is to maximize our opportunities to grow. Because spiritual growth is so vitally important. There's more, though. In verses 6 through 10, what I see in verses 6 through 10 are growing spiritually. Jesus is coming again. We emphasize that in November and December. And the nature of 2 Thessalonians, we're going to talk about that a couple more times because that's just the nature of what Paul was writing about here in 2 Thessalonians. Jesus is coming again. And with Jesus' coming, there is a coming just response of God. A time when he responds to the sin in the world and judges it. Where he responds to the righteousness of Christ and blesses those who have accepted Christ. There is a coming just response of God. And that should give us a great deal of hope. Have you ever felt like the wicked prosper? Yeah. Have you ever felt like the righteous face oppression? Like doing the right thing costs you, makes it harder. Job felt the same way. Job actually asked, Why do the wicked live on, growing old and increasing in power? In Psalm 73, the writer says, For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Continuing in verse 13, it says, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. Sometimes the weight of the wickedness in the world 
and its seeming ability to prosper can be overwhelming. But I want to tell you that God is going to provide relief. In fact, God's relief from the persecution and the trials and the wickedness of the world, his relief is assured. That's what happens in verses 6 through 10. Paul promises that even though we live in a world full of wickedness, where wickedness seems to prosper, God's relief is assured. And it's not just assured to the Thessalonians. Paul notes it's assured to all who trust Jesus. Why? How? Because God is going to punish the wicked. There is a time when God is going to punish the wicked. There is a time where God will judge those who have rejected him. There is a time where God is going to make right all of the wrongs. But it's not just God judging the wicked and God eliminating the wrongs. There's more to it in verses 6 through 10. It's more than just a passage on judgment. I want you to notice it's also a passage on how God's people get to participate in God's glory. Look at verse 10. It says, On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people. Here's something that I want us to really understand, to make sense of. There is coming a day when God will be glorified through you. Not that he needs you for his glory, but rather he is going to allow you to be part of his glory. That is cool. He is allowing us to be part of the glory that he's going to show. We will not just observe God's glory as distant observers. We will be part of God's glory. That's the inheritance that awaits us. Yes, right now, justice sometimes seems to be lacking. Wickedness seems to prevail at times, but there is coming a time when we will be part of God's glory. What is the guarantee of this? What is the proof of this? What is the evidence of this? The gospel. The answer is all those who trust in the gospel, that trust the testimony of the apostles who said that Jesus Christ came to earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and rose again three days later. That is the gospel that guarantees that we get to participate in God's glory. So, here's what I want you to do. Think about this action step. Carefully consider the fact that one day Christ will be glorified in what he has done through Think about that for just a moment. That you get to be part of Christ's glory. That he is working in your heart to 
to make him to sorry to make you more like him he is working to change you to make you more like him and that is how you get to participate in Christ's glory what does that look like well think think about it for a second think about the wickedness that is within you the potential for sin the sins that you've committed Think about how Christ is working, convicting you of sin, changing you, telling you, don't do that again. Work at that. Clean that up in your life. See this area of sin that you've been sort of taking care of over here and you know, letting it thrive? Get rid of that. Push it out. As Christ does that in your life, As the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, he makes you more like Christ. And that change is something that only Christ can do. And it brings him glory. Last last week with uh, my nephew, we got to do a lot of building with Legos. He's at the age where he really likes Legos. And some of you are way more into Legos than I am. But there is something really cool about taking this heap of chaos, okay, and a couple of hours later having this beautiful display. There's something really cool about that. That's actually, in my mind at least, what it looks like as Christ works to sanctify us. To take this heap of chaos that is my life, full of sin, full of messiness, And to slowly, methodically, time after time after time, construct it into Christ's image, Christ-likeness. That's sanctification. And it's beautiful to watch. And we get to be part of that. You know, there were times as we were building his uh, starship, he he was really into uh, Star Wars as well, There were times where we'd put a piece together and we'd apply too much pressure and something else would fall off. It happens. There are times where you think you've got it just right and something falls off. There are times in your life where things are going to be set up and it's going to crumble. Something's going to fall off. That's okay. Christ is still at work as the master builder working to construct you into Christ's image. I've been alluding to the idea that it's Christ who actually does this. It's God's work to make us sanctified. It's not something we get to do ourselves. We're merely the Legos. I haven't found a kit that it symbols itself yet. Okay? That's what verses 11 and 12 are actually all about. Meaningful spiritual growth is a work of God. Meaningful spiritual growth is a work of God. Paul starts off by saying, with this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy. It is God who is at work in your life. You provide the opportunities by doing important things like coming to church, reading your Bible, praying, but it is the work of God to make you like Christ. God is the only one who can make you worthy of the calling that he has placed on your life. This should be an incredible relief. You don't have to take 
the steps to do it. You simply have to provide the opportunities, allow God to work. It's not something that you get to do. There is not a 10-step process to being like Christ. Okay? No. Instead, we provide opportunities by doing the spiritual disciplines, coming to church, reading our Bible, praying, meditating on Scripture, memorizing Scripture. We, we provide this space and allow God to work. What is it that God calls us to? In verse 12, we see he calls us to his future kingdom. He is at work. And sorry, that's not in verse 12 in this. That's in 1 Thessalonians 2.12. God has called us to his future kingdom. In 1 Thessalonians 4.7, he's called us to moral purity. In 1 Peter 2.20-21, he's called us to suffer for the, Christ, for the sake of Christ. He has called us to serve him. That's what it all comes down to. And he's the one who makes us worthy of that calling. Continuing on, back in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, look at verse 12. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. The power of God is the only power sufficient to bring goodness to your life. And God is the only reason that we can bring glory to God. You understand those two spots? The power of God is the only thing sufficient to change you, to make you more like Christ. And God is the only reason that we can bring glory to God. Ultimately, it is all about God. Our sanctification, our growth to be more like Christ, meaningful spiritual growth is the work of God in our life. So let me give you an action step here. Pray that God would work in you to produce meaningful spiritual growth. So the first action step that I gave you was to ask yourself, how can you maximize opportunities for spiritual growth? What can you do to maximize the opportunities? And I gave you three suggestions. Come to church, pray, read your Bible, the second step was to carefully consider the fact that one day Christ will be glorified in what he's done through you. To think about the fact that the long-term goal is to be more like Christ because that actually brings Christ glory and you get to be part of Christ's glory. And then that third action step was to pray that God would work in you to produce meaningful spiritual so what are we going to do right now? We're going to take time and pray. I want you to pray. Today's January 1st. Pray that God would produce in you meaningful spiritual growth. Father, I pray that you would produce within us spiritual growth. It's not something we can do ourselves. It's not something we can do for ourselves. It's something that only you can do. There will be times of victory. There will be times where we step back. But Father, you're the one who can work in our lives. And I pray that you would 
in 2023 work in our lives to produce spiritual fruit. Father, we know that our faith in you is the root and the love that we show to others will be the fruit. So I pray that we would grow spiritually. Help us to be committed to that growth, to take the steps of growth. Work in our lives to make us more like Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.